and welcome to this ACE Oncocast. This podcast series is entitled Clinical Insights on the Treatment Algorithm in Unresectable Locally Advanced or Metastatic Urothelial Cancer. My name is Delith Eichermann. I'm delighted to be joined today by a leading expert in urothelial cancer, Dr. Tom Poles from the St. Bartholomew's Cancer Centre, London, in the United Kingdom. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. In today's ACE Oncocast, our clinical expert will be discussing novel drugs currently in development, including ongoing trials and challenges. Dr. Powell's, the treatment landscape has evolved rapidly in 2023, with more treatment options being introduced as first-line choices. How do you anticipate the evolution of the first-line treatment strategy in the coming years? And can you share with us the way next in this setting? Firstly, thank you for inviting me. I'm very grateful uh, to to be here. Um, you know, I think it's it's taken a long time for us to make a big change in the treatment of patients with advanced urothelial cancer. Essentially, patients with advanced disease have been treated with platinum-based chemotherapy, GEMSYS or GEMCARBO for a generation. In fact, as long as I've been an oncologist and I'm feeling older every uh, every year, we've tried multiple times to beat gem cysts and gem carbo, maybe 20, I don't know how many times. Um, we've not been successful. There are two reasons that we've not been successful. The obvious reason is we haven't had good enough drugs. Some people in the past have said we haven't invested enough time and effort into urothelial cancer and we haven't done enough trials. There was a time, perhaps 10 years ago, when I think that was true. But the introduction of the immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, changed all of that. And since then, there have been a plethora of randomized trials in urothelial cancer. The more recent developments with the antibody drug conjugates have resulted in a second group of studies that have come through. And so essentially we have drugs like atezolizumab and pembrolizumab, which are used after platinum-based chemotherapy, and of course evalimab, which was the standard of care, maintenance of valimab. But these immune checkpoint inhibitors as single agents didn't fulfill their potential. And they never beat frontline chemotherapy. The antibody drug conjugates, such as infortumab vidotin and sasatuzumab govitecan, both FDA approved infortumab vidotin again in those patients who previously had and previously their cancers have progressed after platinum-based chemotherapy. And so we had a series of drugs or two groups of drugs, essentially, for those patients whose cancers have progressed after platinum-based chemotherapy. We combined those two drugs together, infortumab vidotin and pembrolizumab, and we took on frontline chemotherapy, GEMSYS or GEMCARBO, in a prospective randomized phase three study. And in that 880 patient trial, one-to-one randomization with progression-free survival and oval survival as the primary endpoints, we showed approximately a 50% reduction in the risk of progression, a 15% reduction in the risk of death. We showed much higher response rates associated with the combination. We showed CR rates of 30%. We showed lower grade three or grade four toxicity. We had infrequent, less than 1% related treatment-related deaths. 
And so essentially in the last three months, there's been a seismic change in the way we perceive this disease. And indeed, very recently, it achieved FDA approval in um, first-line urothelial cancer patients. And this, in my opinion, now supersedes um, GEMSYS or indeed GEMCARBO. Questions for the future around this combination. How many cycles do we need to give? At the moment, we continue to progression. I think many patients, when they get to 10 cycles, many patients are beginning to dose reduce or discontinue therapy, particularly the infortune of dotin. We need to address those questions in more detail. That's the first thing. The second thing with this combination is we're going to move it into the perioperative, the neoadjuvant setting, and try and cure more patients. And then the second question, which I think you've asked, which is really important, is how do we progress? What do we do next with this combination? And this is an important issue because there are some data out there with two or three different groups of drugs, different antibody drug conjugates, and that's what I'm going to talk about first, targeted therapies with things like odafitinib, and then the third group of drugs, the novel immune therapies. If I can start first with the new antibody drug conjugates, there are other antibody drug conjugates, of course. In breast cancer, you've got TDXD and TDM1. You've got new ADCs in lung cancer. There was some nice data on HER3 ADCs in lung cancer. And of course, you've got the TROP2 ADCs, Sasatuzumab, Gubitikan being the most prominent of which. Sasatuzumab, Gubitikan is being explored in prospective randomized phase three studies. It already has FDA approval, but it's not being widely used currently. The most exciting study is probably Tropics 4, which explores sasituzumab govitecan versus chemotherapy in platinum refractory disease. And that's exciting because it would establish it as a standard of care. But if infortumab, medotin and pembrolizumab is the new standard of care, what does that mean for those patients who's previously had different therapies? And that becomes very confusing. And actually, it's possible, in, in my opinion, probable that triplet combinations are going to be really important for the future. And there are two combinations which I think are really exciting. The first is Sastatuzumab, Govotecan, and Fortumabodotin together with a, an immune checkpoint inhibitor. We've got phase one data out of the United States showing you can combine Fortumabodotin and Sastatuzumab, Govotecan together. That combination has response rates of 70%. If you put an antibody drug conjugate or two antibody conjugates with pembrolizumab or a different immune checkpoint inhibitor, my feeling is we could get even higher responses than we saw with EV Pembro and durability of response. So I think that's a really exciting avenue. And the second exciting avenue with antibody drug conjugate combinations, in my opinion, is there is also a study called the Volga trial which looks at infortumabidotin with a PD-1 inhibitor or PDL one inhibitor, duvalimab, and tremilimumab, a CTLA-4 inhibitor. CTLA-4 has got a patchy history in urothelial cancer, but it looks like it increases response rates by about 10%. So again, it's a, that's a neoadjuvant trial, the Volga trial, it's ongoing, it's enrolling, it's a really important study and I think the triplet question is a really important question in your cancer.
There are other ADCs that we need to explore in urothelial cancer. There is some data on HER2 ADCs with the system of Vodotin, and indeed they're being used widely in China. I think that data is exciting. I'd like to see combinations. And there's a combination of desitinumab, vedotin, and pembrolizumab in randomized phase three. I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about the HER3 ADCs, which is a different group again. So I've talked about four different ADCs just in the last few minutes in urothelial cancer. When you look back in time, where we only had gemcis or gemcarbo, this makes things very exciting. I've also talked about triplet therapy. If I park the antibody drug conjugate issue for a second, if I may, and move on to what I think are other areas of exploration, we've seen some data with targeted therapy with erdofitinib. We've seen the Thor trial looking at personalized therapy for those patients with FGFR3 alterations. We've seen um, better outcomes compared to chemotherapy. In the North trial in 2023, um, Arlene presented data showing the combination with PD-1 actually did show quite impressive response rates. And I think we do need to incorporate erdofitinib or other FGFR3s into the treatment algorithm, perhaps more aggressively than we're doing at the moment. And again, I'm afraid I think that's with combinations. I don't think as a single agent, it's going to change the field in the same way as infortumabidotin and pembrolizumab has. So we need to explore FGF. We know it's a target, and we need to look at that. And then the third group of drugs I wanted to talk about were the second generation of immune therapies. We know that the second generation of immune therapies, dare I say OX40 as an example, or IDO as an example, haven't been particularly successful. We've been exploring them for 10 years, but we now have LAG3 and we've got TIGIT as two new targets being explored in prospective randomized phase two studies, trying to beat a historic standard of care. And it is my hope that we can indeed find the second generation of immune checkpoint inhibitors. And of course, beyond there. There is some exciting work on personalized cancer vaccines, and Moderna and BioNTech are getting involved in adjuvant trials in a broad spectrum of areas. I'd like that to include urothelial cancer as well. And then, of course, the last piece, which I always talk about, the personalized approach to circulating tumor DNA to identify those patients that really need therapy and monitoring treatment with circulating biomarkers rather than using radiology is an area of real excitement for the future. So in summary, bladder cancer, in my opinion, has completely changed in the last three or four months. Antibody drug conjugates with immune checkpoint inhibitors, specifically EV Pembro, I think has changed the landscape. I think there is more work to be done with antibody drug, new antibody drug conjugates, antibody drug conjugate combinations, immune immune antibody drug com um, combinations, but also let's not forget about a second generation of immune checkpoint inhibitors, targeted therapy, and personalized therapy with circulating tumor DNA. Thank you for sharing your insights on the way next for first-line treatment strategies. The rapidly changing treatment landscape in the first-line setting has made subsequent care much more complex, resulting in unmet needs 
What are the unresolved issues and challenges that need to be addressed in future clinical research? That's a really good question. What do we do now while if we've changed first-line therapy within fortumabidotin and pembrolizumab, we don't have very much data for patients whose cancers have progressed after that. There are two observations of interest from the EV Pembro trial. The first is that progression-free survival and overall survival, progression-free survival, you know, about a year, just over that, but overall survival over 30 months. That means that a lot of the patient journey is being spent after first-line therapy. EV Pembro seems to be generating these long, deep responses, and they go, lot, go on, in my experience, the patients I've treated longer than I expected. Nevertheless, there is a role, an important role for subsequent therapy, but we don't know how much it adds to overall survival currently. We have no data on that, and we have no data on which drugs to give. The first question is, what do we use in the EV302 study? And what we used predominantly was platinum-based chemotherapy as the second-line standard of care. Why did we use that? Well, that's all we've really been using for such a long period of time. FGFR inhibitors, also approved in the United States, were actually very infrequently used in that population. My feeling is that platinum-based chemotherapy is the standard of care after EV Pembro. If patients have FGFR alterations, erdofitinib may be an alternative, but I would personally see it more as a third-line therapy, in my opinion. Sasituzumab govitecan doesn't yet have positive randomized data in urothelial cancer in any setting. And although it has FDA approval, we haven't seen any data post-EV Pembro. And so it's my feeling that sasituzumab govitecan is not yet the right drug to sequence after EV Pembro. And then when you look for other alternatives in urothelial cancer, they're actually few and far between. So common sense dictates let's do what happened in the study because those patients do well. Let's sequence platinum-based chemotherapy. But I'd like to see studies now, and we're going to see studies for that post-EV Pembro population. And I think sequencing antibody drug conjugates is a really important question, number one. Number two is, do we need to continue or should we stop the immune checkpoint inhibitor? And I think that's something that I'd like to see. And if you said to me, you know, what sort of trial do we need to be looking at? I would be looking at novel ADC and novel immune combinations. So dare I say it? LAG3 or TIGIT with either a HER3 or a HER2 ADC or a TROP2 ADC versus platinum-based chemotherapy would be a standard trial, which I think we could do and I think we should do. Recruiting to those trials in the short term is hard because EV Pembro's only just started to be used and patients are going to be on that for 12 months. And so in 12 months' time, we'll start being able to recruit to these studies. But it takes six months to start a study anyway. So I think we should be planning those trials now. We should be assuming the landscape's going to change. And we should be learning more about sequencing therapies, which we're not actually doing very much of from a perspective, study perspective, as it stands. Thank you.
Could you share with us the other promising pipeline therapies for locally advanced or metastatic urothelial cancer and also introduce their mechanisms of action? Sure. So, I mean, I think that we've gone through a period and I think the right place to start was, is with the antibody drug conjugates. I think the HER3 and the HER2 antibody drug conjugates are exciting. Decitimab vedotin is an example of a HER2 antibody drug conjugate. Um, I think that's relevant. I think there are other antibody drug conjugates in other tumour types which are coming into urothelial ca cancer. And um, I think that uh, we haven't yet seen activity for those drugs. We haven't yet seen data, but we look forward to that. I think the trope 2 ADCs are already established with sasituzumab gova tcan So that's the first group of drugs. I think the second group of drugs are exciting. Is there a second group of immune checkpoint inhibitors? LAG3 and TIGIT are two of those. There are also the personalized cancer vaccines. Um, and um, we've, um, we've, we've tested those uh, before, but a little bit, but we're now testing them more aggressively. Uh, there's data on pancreas cancer um, uh, and, and there's data on some other tumor types as well, including um, uh, melanoma. Um, the, the personalized cancer vaccines, TIGIT and LAG3 for me, are the three more exciting immune agents, which I'm looking at, although I'm sure there'll be someone who would disagree with me and said this is actually uh, much more exciting. Um, and I would uh, and I would bow to their knowledge. Then the third group of drugs, the targeted therapies. I would say that erdofitinib is now established. Uh, it's not yet EMA approved, but it is FDA approved. It has positive randomized phase three data. I'm not sure we've got the biomarker right. And I'm not sure we yet have the best FGF inhibitor we possibly could. So I'd like to see a second generation of FGF inhibitors. And there's also ongoing discussion about other targets and other potential targeted therapies. My personal opinion of that, um, drugs like cabozatinib, which I know are continuing to be explored, I'm less excited about the targeted therapies in isolation than perhaps other people are. Um, and then, and I know I talk about this, I know it's not a drug, but it is very important that we redefine advanced disease. At the moment, we wait until an X-ray shows a lump on it. And by that time, that's too late for most, for many urothelial cancer patients. We need to transform advanced disease by focusing more on minimal or molecular residual disease, which can be identified by blood tests rather than radiology. And the reason why this is important is if we go earlier with minimal residual disease using circulating tumor DNA, we can explore those drugs in a new earlier space. And indeed, Matt Gowski is doing that combination of LAG3 plus nivolumab versus nivolumab alone in ctDNA positive patients. So what he's doing is super exciting. And then the last group of drugs, which I think is worthwhile talking about, which has been explored, but is still ongoing, are the, uh, the CTA4 inhibitors. Um, tremolimumab is being explored in combination with juvalimab plus the ADC um, in fortumab vedotin as a neoadjuvant triplet. So actually, in urothelial cancer, we've got randomized trials with a second generation of 
um, the, the randomized phase two and phase three studies with three antibody drug conjugates. We've got ADCs in phase two and in randomized phase threes. We've got some randomized phase threes um, with targeted therapies. I've said I'm not as excited as other people are around, the, around that, but I am excited about trying to refine FGFR inhibition. And, I'm, uh, and I think erdofitinib is a great drug. I'd like to see that move forward, either in combination or with a different, better FGFR inhibitor. Thank you. So the identification of predictive biomarkers for response to chemotherapy, immune checkpoint inhibitors, antibody drug conjugates, and targeted therapy is crucial for treatment decision-making. What are the current developments in this field and what are the future applications? Biomarker development in urothelial cancer has not been as successful as we as a group would have liked. Uh, we focused um, heavily on PDL1 as a biomarker. I'm, I'm fairly confident that PDL1 is not the, the whole story. In fact, I don't think it's a good biomarker for urothelial cancer. We've tested it many times in prospective randomized phase three studies as the primary endpoint from the VIGA 211 all the way down to trials like Danube, and it's failed. And we need to move on to a second generation of biomarkers, particularly for immune therapy. We know innate and adaptive immunity are both important predicting response to immune checkpoint uh, inhibition. Um, we also know the tumor, tumor mutation burden is relevant. We also know host factors and host immunity and potentially even the microbiome play a role to, uh, in, in response to therapy. I don't think there's an easy solution to predi a predicting response to immune therapy. I think we may be able to generate algorithms with more than one biomarker in the future. Um, I'm excited uh, about some of the RNA signatures, uh, but this is not the TCGA signature. Um, there are potentially RNA um, signatures for innate and adaptive immunity, which may be better than pd one but RNA signatures are very difficult to translate into biomarkers or convert into biomarkers. They take a long time to do. Uh, I think the second group of drugs, the antibody drug conjugates, have a target. Now, in fortune, Mavidotin is um, targeting Nectin-4. Nectin-4 is overexpressed in the vast majority of urothelial cancer patients. And so I think as a, uh, a single agent uh, therapy, I don't think Nectin-4 is a useful biomarker. I don't think we're going to use that. The same applies for trope 2, which is widely expressed in urothelial cancer. But the second generation of ADCs, the HER2s and the HER3s, I think are going to be biomarker-driven. I'd like to see that. Um, I think... Uh, Decitimab vedotin uh, is a really attractive second-generation antibody drug conjugate, and uh, and I think we need to look at that uh, in that HER2 and uh, population. Uh, and then the last biomarker, which I think is relevant, is circulating tumor DNA. About 40% of the patients post-surgery are ctDNA positive. Those patients that are positive relapse in about 90% of the time. Um, those that are not positive only relapse about 10 to 20% of the time. So that's a, quite a discriminatory predictive biomarker for relapse. But it also appears to be a predictive biomarker for response for atezolizumab. And there's a prospective study called Invigor 11, which randomized CTA positive patients um, with no evidence of disease radiologically to atezolizumab or placebo. 
in a randomized phase three study. And I think that's a really important trial, which is recruiting globally well at the moment. So um, the first chapter of biomarker development with pdl one was unsuccessful. Uh, the second chapter um, for immune therapy requires work. Uh, we still don't have the answer, but we have moved to circulating tumor DNA. And of course, I should, before I finish, mention uh, FGFR uh, and those HER2 ADCs, both of which I think we're going to be using biomarkers in the future. So yes, we'll get there. We're not quite there at the moment. Thank you, Tom, for this great interview and discussion. And thank you all for listening to this podcast brought to you by Ace Oncology. Thank you.